Rick Madison, Rick and Friends. And today we have a very special guest. Try to get him in, but he was too busy harvesting grapes and doing a whole bunch of other things. I think he gets pulled in a lot of different directions. <laughs> in fact, I know he does. Um, very interesting fellow and uh, one that I, it's always a pleasure to talk to, Jason Parks. Welcome to the big show. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. So, Jason, uh, you and I have chatted before, of course, but I, I, let's just talk a bit about um, some early beginning stuff. You do not strike me as a winemaker. And, and it is like, did you stumble into that? Yeah. Is that like, tell me how that kind of came into being. Uh, lucky for me, it found me. I was a, a musician. I started playing music when I was very young. Um, a bit of a, well, probably to say a high school dropout, uh, around grade 10 or 11, I kind of left that. Um, long story short, I was on the road with my band, and being the control freak that I'm known to be a little bit, a nice control freak, not a mean one, but a nice one, um, I ran the band, and I felt responsible for the band. Uh, the, the van broke down, and we need to get some money together to fix it. So I took it upon myself. I was in Peachland. I went there because my parents lived there and we could camp out and eat hot dogs for free and stuff like that while we got this uh, van fixed. Um, but I had to get, I had to go make some money. So I walked down the road to a winery because it didn't have a vehicle to get anywhere. And I just, you know, wanted to do some work and they threw me in the vineyard. Um, I had some good work ethic, I guess. Um, lucky that I had that instilled in me. And long story short, I kept coming back every time I had a bit of a break. I made the money, got back on the road. Um, and every time I wanted to uh, take some time off and just clear my head, I'd go there and, and, and work and make a bit of money. And I kept doing it. And one day the owner of the winery came down. Lucky for me, he was a little crazy. Bless his heart. <laughs> he, let his, uh, he let the existing winemaker go. And he offered me a job for eight bucks an hour, a set of keys for an old Chevy and a credit card to help manage the place and make wine. And I had... I. I didn't know, and I had, I had no clue. I, the, the joke I tell people is I had this, I had pretty nice hair at that point, like mildly attractive young man, um, and it all went to hell in a handbasket as soon as I started trying to learn about wine. There wasn't a whole bunch of Google. I'm a little, I can be a little shy, a little introverted, I guess, at times, so I wasn't really reaching out for help, a little nervous to, to do that. So I kind of was in that cellar for seven years, teaching myself how not to make wine most of the time. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I'm grateful for, for that learning curve. I eventually got a fairly good grasp on it. I did well for that winery. I won some of those awards that people seem to get validation from. So won a bunch of those for the winery. And uh, yeah, the story goes on from there. I won't bore you with the whole thing, but I fell into it just trying to fix my rock and roll van. <laughs> so that is part, probably the way I would best describe you is this a tortured artist who happens to make wine like uh and it, and it's interesting because i'm i mean I, I get what you you were saying about you found out a bunch of ways not to make wine and yeah. and and i'm pretty sure that's how a lot of people you know maybe they don't have the patience for that but yeah but you seem like somebody that's got a bit of ocd yeah. And so, you know, you would be very careful with your craft. You'd be very meticulous and you would, you know, it would be a quicker journey, I think, for someone like you that really pays attention to the mistakes. For sure. And not being scared. I think there's a vulnerability to it. I, I kind of, in my mind, I, would, I took it serious, but 
I was always laughing at myself to not like, look what you've landed on. You know, if they only knew you, you failed grade nine math and you have no chemistry and the only wine you drank was, you know, some Italian wine out of your friend's basement when you were a kid because you couldn't afford beer. I, like, you know, I had, I'd, so I, I would kind of try to have a bit of a comical thing, but there's a lot of tears shed learning it. Um, it was, it was really, really, really tough. Um, but I still like, in, and now like, I'm not making wine as much. The last few years I've been more of, I don't know what to call myself, but trying to put up new, new places, to have a different view on wine, to, there was an awkwardness about wine for me getting into it that I couldn't keep up with. It was like, you know, I couldn't keep up with the cool kids. I didn't have the lingo. I didn't understand it all. So I, my goal was to always try to ha find a way to make wine approachable and easy for people to just enjoy. And I do that by changing how their senses are when they walk into one of the buildings. Um, so I've been doing a lot of that, but that where I'm going back, you mentioned making wine and failing. I'm failing at doing this too, quite often. We still haven't learned exactly how to do it right. Um, but you have to put yourself out there in a vulnerable way to learn those things. If you go into it thinking you know what you're doing, you're, you're gonna be there quite a while. You gotta... Put the ego aside, I yeah. would say. And, and yeah. do you often have that imposter syndrome? Um, what do you mean? Well, it's those people sitting at the boardroom table and mm -hmm. looking around going, if anyone knew that I'm not exactly sure what's going on, <laughs> they would probably fire me on the spot. Yeah. But do you ever get a little I, bit of that? I did. I, I don't anymore. I have a, an underlying, finally, some confidence. I think that came from my team. Um, they, they believe in me. Like The company is called Jason Parks Customs. I never called it that. That makes me want to, to go to the washroom and throw up. It's still hard to, to see it. So I've got this team, though, that believes in me, and I feel responsible for being strong to have their back and believing in what I'm doing. So that's given me, like, this thing where now I do sit in some boardrooms with people that are much more educated, successful, smarter than me, and some of them have some really big egos. And I actually sometimes enjoy toying with them and playing with them a little bit because I'm, I can be quite unassuming. But I do that, I think, because I've got this, these muscles for my team. Mm -hmm. It's not for me personally. So let's talk about the properties. There's, uh, you know, this this wonderful winery in on the West Kelowna side, and when first driving up to it, I was awestruck with it's different. It's it kind of perches out of nowhere on this ridge, and then you notice, did they mean to do that with with the one side of the wall? It looks like you know it'd been shelled or something, mm -hmm. and and there's that. You know, it, it's got a mystique to it. It's got a historical context, and I don't even know why because it's fairly new. So just kind of explain what you were hoping to achieve with that architecture and then what, you know, what it is. Because, I, I mean, I think a lot of people are kind of still mystified by it a bit. <laughs> I think that's why I built it because I'm even still a little bit confused by the, the thing that I did. Um, I always had the vision and the aesthetic um, of the building before, like we did, you know, we've done other things like the Hatch and Black Swift and, and d different, different buildings that we've done, right? Um, that one, I, because it's on my own property, personally, um, I felt I could be risky and I could push the limits of how far I wanted to push this whole idea of people's sensory and a feeling at a place and making them comfortable. 
Um, it was designed originally just uh, have an architect, uh, Kim Fuller, helped me with it a lot, but a lot of it was designed in the beginning just with, you know, getting it going with some pencil crayons and graph paper um, and annoying, you know, the builders and the architect. And they were so wonderful to, to, to allow me to do it and, and not throw me aside. They, they supported me. But the whole point of that, that entrance, like you're saying, it's actually so that when people, I always knew what I wanted inside it to be very overwhelming on the senses, to take people away. And it wasn't, I never ever thought about, okay, how am I gonna sell a bottle of wine? That's where, like I said earlier, I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. Like the wine business is very, very, very difficult. Uh, I should be thinking more about that, but I didn't. I thought about, you know, that, maybe that single mom or that dude that had a bad day at work, that as soon as they open that door, it's all gone. It's just everything is gone for maybe it's 30 seconds, maybe it's five minutes, but they can just leave and go into this world. That's why there's this very weird, uh, somewhat offensive mural on the ceiling and just all sorts of very odd aesthetic that takes them away from life for a minute. Some people around here will never get a chance to go to France or, and I'm lucky, I've been shipped out there a couple of times or go to Italy and it's beautiful. It, it hits a spot, um, that old world hits a spot in all of us and I, I I honestly, in my mind when I was doing it, I just wanted those people to feel that for a couple seconds. So when you approach it and you see this concrete wall, that's on purpose. Um, the whole facade, which I like to think is quite pretty, is facing the lake on purpose. It's all, it's all to do with sensory and people's being intrigued by it. So as you're walking up to it, the whole concrete thing with where it looks like there's, you know, shrapnels hit the building, that's all on purpose. It's to see the gray and people to wonder what it is when they open the door their senses get to be at full. I don't want to give them a hint. When we were building it there, it's funny, like a lot of uh, the locals would come over. There's a lot of elderly people around and insensitive people like there always is. And they'd go up to the, to the guys building it and say, what's going on here? And I told them because it was so much. And I always have a hard time putting up wineries. There's always a neighbor that's going to complain, which is okay. You got to do your best to, to take care of them and be, and be good to them. But I just didn't want to deal with it because I was stressed out building this place. So I just said, just tell them that it's a satanic cult church. And that word got out and it was quite believable. And when everyone found out that it was a winery, that whole sensory thing that I'm about worked because it went to a very beautiful place. <laughs> so that was the smartest thing I've ever done. <laughs> well, go go to the bad stuff. Yeah, no, just yeah. just a acid rock band, and we're just you know we're gonna get our our record soon, and and uh, but a lot of practice, you know. I yeah. Get it. Um, I'm just going off on a little bit, but uh, I was lucky enough to do media for the Canadian Culinary Championship, and one of the auction prizes was uh, Jim Cuddy on a rooftop in Italy. Wow. Um, serenading whoever bought this this auction and nice. include, you know, staying at this villa, Jim Cuddy and uh, and and I just remember going, wow, I'd I'd, I'd love to do something like that. And I'm just saying, <laughs> because you do perform and perform yeah. very well, I, I think at some point we should probably figure that out. Yeah. As far as a, an auction, raise some money. That'd be great. And uh, Jason Parks uh, in Italy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I'm much of a draw, but we could get maybe Bon Jovi. <laughs> You know, or someone like that, Bono. We'll talk to Bono. We'll give him a call. You must know Bono. Oh, yeah. You guys no, go he, way back, I'm Man, sure. he, he's on my Fab Five. Totally. Sure. Yeah. Hit I, that guy up. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and let's go uh, around the properties. Because um, I, I want to go back to a little bit of the history of that particular junction. Um, you said it, it you know, it's, it's, uh, it's got some nefarious history to it, which mm -hmm. is uh, very interesting. But, but let's go to... Uh, 
and, and again, I learned about this through Instagram. I, I couldn't believe the mezzanine of this, this hatch, this, this place. And, yeah. uh, I stumbled upon it with a friend of mine who runs some bars and pubs in, in Alberta. And he said, this is crazy. <laughs> and I said, why is it crazy? And he goes, well, there's this massive open space in the middle. And he yeah. said, that's not workable space. So yeah. he said, whoever did this is an, an artist. Or an idiot. You know, it's closely related. <laughs> that's a, But it, it comes back to, and I know, again, learning from mistakes. But I don't regret, you know, I hear the same thing about Crown. It's 1,200 square feet that goes up illegally too high in the sky. Okay, it's weird. So it has problems with capacity when you're thinking of the financial side of throughput. Um, the hatching post, when people walked in the door, I wanted them to feel like they were in a saloon and there was going to be a fight on the mezzanine and someone was going to fall off the edge. I wanted them to feel that. And that's worth, you know, losing 60 or 70 grand on boost sales a year. I mean, that's why I'm not the best business guy. <laughs> I got to be watched very closely. So the aesthetic to me, it's all for a reason. And, and I proudly know that it's kind of stupid. <laughs> But but I love the fact that basically a rock and roll guy created a winery, a restaurant, like a like that that to me feels great because I know you did it because of a passion, you did it yeah. because of a drawing, you did it because of a vision, and and no matter what, some might say common sense, but some say, wow, you carried it across the finish line, and good for you, because I mean, really. Steve Jobs was called a whole bunch of things and yeah. not not kind things. Yeah. And but then, you know, that's how you get to great places, I think. Yeah. The finish line, and I really appreciate you saying that. Like everything's built, the the work that goes in and the team and what we're trying to do to make this actually really, really work is tremendous. It's it's a really hard anyone out there that wants to do a winery, give me a call. I'll sit you down and I'll talk <laughs> you out of it. It's it's a really, really hard thing to do on the financial side. Um so we're at the finish line, we're looking at it, but we're years away of crossing it where we've actually done what we need to do as a company. I've just got some support, and the company does, on being able to get these things going because I'm, people believe in me, lucky for me, and my stupid shit, or I shouldn't say that, <laughs> beep ideas. Um, and I'm so grateful for that because you know when I'm dead and gone, I don't really care about the fancy awards that we keep in the little porcelain bedpan toilet at the hatching po at the hatch. Um, I'm very honored for that. But I want to be remembered as someone that added to the community, to the industry, and maybe one or two people that were brave enough to feel that they knew what they're talking about with wine. So it was to take away that whole energy, that whole pretentiousness, and just have people be comfortable. Well out of all the things you do, and there's many things, um, what's at the core? Like, what, what, where does it all grow from? Where do you, where's your DNA map of, oh. of what the whole thing is going to look like? Where does it start from? I just like building stuff. I, I honestly do. And, and I, I really have a, I've been told before by smart people that are smarter than me that I do have an intelligence. It's called emotional intelligence. And I, I looked into that phone. What the hell is that? Because I've always known I've been very, like, um, sensitive and caring about people and you know you can call it a good guy whatever you call them all that crap that's just smoke and mirrors but I sincerely have a thing that I enjoy adding to people's lives as far as employees and growing them and building them that's as important or more important like when I hear Jason your staff's great that's a lot better than I love the facade at Crown of Thieves um, 
Having said that, when I was little, I used to decorate my room really weird, and my parents thought I was bizarre. So, and this year, I'm not building anything. I don't know if I'm answering the question. I'm going a bit of it all over the place. I'm not building anything this year, and it's been a hard year on me on, on, on the brain because I'm not, I had to take a year off. There's one place left that I want to do, um, and I'm not doing it, and it's the people around me are saying I shouldn't to protect, protect me and how much I'm doing. Um, but I'm not in the best headspace when I'm not building. So all this building stuff, as much as I'm doing it for people, it's also for selfish reasons. I like, I like to build stuff. Well, tell me about the performance side of things, because you, you don't, you know, you are slightly introverted. Um, I find it a, a juxtaposition, a irony, I guess, that, that you stand in front of people and perform and perform mm. very well. Mm. I mean, I, I've been to one of your shows and, and tell me how that fits within this personality, because it, it, it does seem odd that you stand in front of a crowd of people and, yeah. and do something very intimate, which is sing. It's a, it's a boils down to a midlife crisis, I think, doesn't it? Like, okay. Yeah. Can, well, <laughs> most people get cars. Yeah, I get cars. But no, in all honesty, I remember like I before when I used to perform, I and I was in a like a pretty rock and punk rock band, and we could rock out three thousand people and make I could make them all jump at the same time. Super confident. The first time I had to do a winemaker's dinner, I didn't sleep for for three days and had to take Samino and Pepto Bismol for for. It was brutal. I was so nervous, and I used to always think to combine the two, mm -hmm. to find a way. So I always had a dream to put the music and the wine together, obviously my two things that I enjoy. Um, and that was the, the meaning of putting that basement into Crown. It was, and we almost didn't do it, but it was to do, I wanted to do musical shows and that I could be doing a winemaker's dinner. It was, but there's no food, it's with music and pairing. And if you listen to a lot of the lyrics, it's connected to winemaking and stuff like that. So. I, don't, I shouldn't say it on air because my wife thinks they're all about her. But they are in some way related because she drinks the wine. So, But there's there's a connection there with the music that I just wanted to do something. But I found it was a little complicated. We started doing them in the beginning. These, And I think I, I'm not confident enough to own it completely as this winemaking musician guy. Because to be honest, like I'm, I'm, always, I'm very real with what I do. In the last few years, I've got a team in the cellar that is doing the wine. And they're better than me. Like they're doing a great job. Um, they still respect me, and to to make me feel good, they'll call me and ask me questions all the time. I'm sure, <laughs> but I got a beautiful team in there. So when I'm on that stage now, and I'm not because I took all this time to put these buildings up and try to develop this company, I'm not in a position to get up there and really go on about that. Mm -hmm. It's a weird thing. Like I could, it would look cool, and it would be very endearing, but it's BS, and I don't like to do things in that way. So I've kind of backed off on combining the wine and the music, and I just get to go there most Saturdays um, and get up there and play and forget about the fact that I'm you know, running this business, that I've got this beautiful family, all the, all the, all the things in life, I get to forget about it for an hour and a half mm -hmm. and get on that stage. And it's really fun. We sit outside before we go on, and the band is such a beautiful thing to have in my life because it's, it's literally like we're going and playing Madison Square Garden every Saturday. Mm -hmm. we, we go outside the room and everyone's pumped up. We got our inner monitors in. I've got my little drink and I'm warming up and everyone's like pacing and high-fiving and I love you, man. Let's do this. We're only playing for 70 to 100 people, but it's a really beautiful thing because that was my dream was mm -hmm. to play music. So I get to get up there and pour my heart out and it's been really well received and the crowd actually makes us feel like we are. We are something special. So we're very lucky to have that room. I think of um, 
a legacy. And I think of when, you know, I'm not saying your tickers, anything's wrong with it or anything else, but, but say Jason, we remove Jason from, from these, these brands. Um, how, like, are you thinking past a, a lifetime? Are you thinking about, you know, how strong is this? Because, you know, you are, uh, a riddle in a lot of ways. And, and I think that part of the brand people resonate with, they're like, well, he's kind of a rock and roll guy, but he's kind of this and he's kind of like, and, and, and by building that part of the brand, I think it's strong, but where does that go if, if yeah. anything happens to you? I think that's where it's very beautiful. Um, like I said, I didn't name the company. Employees have labels tattooed on their arms. There's a culture the name Jason Parks Custom stands for a thing. It stands for a culture. It stands for work ethic. It stands for not being pretentious. It stands for being good. It stands for working hard and being honest. It, it stands for a whole bunch of stuff because I'm very old school with my work mentality at work, which can get me in trouble. But there's a lot of emotion and heart in the company. Um, I think it would live on better without me because I've got better people than me working for me now. We're going to be back in a minute with uh, more Jason Parks, but before we do that, let's talk a little bit about this print company called Do You Print Needs for Your Business? Bet you do. D6 Print Studio on Lucky Road has large format, really large. Printers to service your every need. So if you need something printed, built, created, D6 Print Studio on Lucky. Uh, Cloner Now is running its annual auction right now. Find it at clonernow.com. Back with more Jason Parks. So, Jason, I've again we've we've chatted with each other, and uh, I was I was just kind of the the tortured artist thing is uh, is very real with you. And uh, where does that come from? Like, you know, you, you seem to be pulled in a lot of different directions. I think empathy is a wonderful thing, but I think you have an in, inordinate amount of empathy. And it is is that part of where that tortured thing comes from? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think so. I was really, uh, as you can tell, as we're talking, I, I talk quite a bit now. But when I was little, I, I was a pretty shy, shy kid, um, fairly insecure. So I think I throw a bit of that self-deprecating thing into play it safe with people as a comical uh, deterrent to don't look too close to me. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I don't, I feel the tortured artist thing. I know what you're talking about, but inside... Um, a fairly uh, a, a happy person, um, grateful, um, so lucky to be to be where I'm at and and to be doing everything I'm doing on a creative level. Um, so yeah, I, I don't really know. I know what you mean because I've heard it before, and I, I don't really know exactly where it comes from. It's just a multiple of things, I guess, that make that up. Um, and I'm just going to go in random places here. So speakeasy, uh, I was trying to describe it to somebody. This space. And it was like Peaky Blinders meets um, a saloon slash somebody's uh, Red Greens cabin. Like it was, <laughs> it was just a, an eclectic nice. collection. Yeah, but it has a very great vibe to it. Cool. And 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 I think that was part of it. So, wh what's the vision behind that space? Which we were all amazed at when we walked down the stairs. You came around a corner, and went boom. Yeah. And I can't believe this place exists. Yeah. I in the whole building, I. I went into it to not pigeonhole myself to time frame specific, which 
drew, drew some people crazy that were working with me that were professional in design and stuff like that. So you're right, the eclectic is, is the word. It, it's The basement, though, really had to speak to me. It it's basically comes from a feeling of my Nana and Papa's house. They were English. They had a little bar in there. There's pubs in the background in, in my history in England. Um, so I'm very nostalgic and connected to that world, even though I wasn't involved. Um, so I just... I just wanted, again, it's about that feeling when you go down there, like there is, um, you know, animal heads on the wall, which is, that's not for everybody. And I, I didn't kill them myself. But, you know, they're left behind from, from my uncle, who was a really great man. He left them for me, knowing I've been talking about this weird building for a long time. So those are very special to me. Everything in there, like the, the back of the bar is 150-year-old confessional. Like, that's a little crazy, right? Mm -hmm. So there's going to be vibes in there. We actually had... The people from Ghost Hunters um, come out and go through the building, and I had to sit there, and they were putting these fancy things on and doing recordings, and there was uh, things being said, and uh, yeah, a lot of history in that spot. Like even I don't want to get too far into it, but there there is a connection. A gentleman many many years ago, I believe it was in the '40s, was was blowing up stumps right in that spot, and um, unfortunately, decapitated himself on the property and it's very interesting because my architect was connected to that it was her great-grandfather that actually picked him up and brought him to the morgue and then I found out after that her great-grandfather lived in the building that uh, we brought down where the hatching post brewery is and there is video footage of I'm getting into ghost stories here so you can't ask me questions I love it I love it I'm going all nutty um, there's video footage of chairs sliding off of, uh, yeah, it's, it's cool. And I'm not like this crazy ghost guy, but there's some neat things and things that I was told personally that I keep to myself from these ghost hunter people that things around me that they're saying, um, which is neither here nor there, but it's just interesting. So there's definitely a vibe. I, I pray it's positive for everybody and I think it is, um, but that's just built to have that kind of energy and it works when I first opened it am I talking too much am I going too far no <laughs> I I would sit in the corner because it's kind of you can't almost not see me and I would just sip on cognac because I wanted to see what people said because I was nervous like I thought I pooped the bed on the building you never know until you get and there was young people that come down and they're really blown away but what really hit me was was the older generation coming down there a couple people got uh, emotional and that's when I was like holy I did it like as far as the design, mm -hmm. big team helping me, but that is and sticking to the guns and, and being as tacky as possible and not matching colors and doing it where they are matching and, and just being out there and believing in your vision. And then you're seeing these old timers come down there and they're starting to cry. I was like, I did it. Mm -hmm. Hopefully now it makes money, which I haven't got to that point yet. <laughs> oh, but the aesthetic oh, comes later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the aesthetic is there. So. What was cool was uh, I was sitting next to the stage and uh, great seats, by the way. And I was sitting there and, and every now and then your your eyes kind of linger over something and then you, you actually look at it and analyze it and go, okay, that is antlers on something I don't even recognize. And, and that's the <laughs> cool part is I don't know where you found this stuff from, but I can only imagine from, from tombs and, and yeah. crazy places because... Yeah. You, this stuff is just not available on Amazon. No, but also like I did do some serious hunting in the beginning, looking for all these pieces. And it took some serious looking, but the more I did it, I'll tell you the community into, you know, 
history, antique, salvaging, and even the local community, things just showed up on my door. It's true. And I thought that was, that was really, really special. Sometimes too many things showed up on my door. But a lot of them were quite, um, quite thoughtful. And no one looking for credit. A little note. Yeah. A yeah. little note. And you can tell it's from older generation because the handwriting, right? Right. Um, that was, it was really beautiful. Like it wasn't, the community bought in. It still happens today where they, would you put this piece in there? And I'm so happy to do it. Like right now we have a thing where we want everyone to bring by. We've got these two Christmas trees and the staff's like, oh, we got to go. I said, no, just let the community know if they come by, they've got an old ornament, they want to be part of it, and they get a free tasting of Pinot Gris. And they're like, that's great. And the community can come out and put something on the tree so that everyone feels a part of it, mm -hmm. you know. So I did find a lot of great pieces, but a lot of people, including the local, you know, the local people, help me. Isn't it funny how some pieces just show up, though? Like, like, and, and I'm not talking about they just showed up on your doorstep, and I, I get the fact that somebody placed it there, but but when you're searching for something and it just kind of rises well, from the ashes? I'll tell you this right now. It almost seems like we planned this, but you don't know this, so this is going to be good. It's going to be good radio, what I'm about to say. Well, hey. So I was in Vancouver getting some pieces, and on this pallet was a 400-pound piece of quartz or whatever that said, rest in peace in Latin on it. And he's like, Jason, no one's going to want this. You could see something was broken off of it. It was kind of a, not the best piece, but to me it was quite beautiful. So we put it on the truck, we brought it home, and that's when, when I brought it home, the architect was there, and seeing that, that's when I learned the story about what happened on the property. So when you're approaching Crown, if you look down below, right before the door, I have a statue of an angel on top of it. I've turned it so her back is to you. So she's looking away and she's sitting on this 400 pound piece of quartz so yeah that that's good radio right that is good yeah <laughs> we like stories here. yeah well that's a true one it's and it's 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 cool it's like meant to be you know where do you have a, a place you're going with all this like is there i i don't get the it's a financial windfall gain no. for you it's it's comes from a good place a passion but is there a is there an end game or is there a goal or is there when you arrive at the at the gates you're like okay I did it and and that's what it looks like. Well, I'm going to talk too much again and, and tell you where it started. So the hatch, the little the little garage that we have, the first thing that was a little different on Bushri, that was at that point I was working with somebody else was in the company that was calling the shots, and they were going to put a very large Quellsgate type winery in, but because of road improvements and the cost, we couldn't do it. So it was my idea, and I had I was with other people at the time that supported that idea and helped. But that was my opportunity to build something that was vulnerable, something that was just not fancy and just really, really easy for people to be comfortable in. And that we just renovated that shed. We had I had 500 grand to do all the parking, the shed, get everything done, deal with the city. We popped that thing up in three months, and that's what became the hatch, which was an incubator for ideas and creativity. So all the brands like Crown came out of the hatch, Blacksmith came out of the hatch. All these things came out of this incubator. That's why it's called the hatch. So that little shed is building, everything came out of that. That was my test to see if people think would like that kind of approach to wine. It did 300,000 the first month. So that little place has contributed to helping doing everything we did. So. That's where it started. It started in the cellar at this winery that I was at going, how does a guy that can only relate to punk rockers and just was on welfare last week be cool in the wine game? 
How's this going to happen? And I wanted it to be something that was approachable for everyone. And then I got my opportunity to do that at the hatch. And it's grown from there. The end game is, I think it's, it's, it has to be not that far away because I'm getting tired now. <laughs> um, the end game, I think, is there's one more thing I want to do. I just want to be, I guess I just, the, the eagle part of it, I just want to be remembered as someone that contributed to the community and to the BC wine industry mm-hmm. in a different way. Because, like, here's why I might get in trouble. Like, the BC wine industry, what's its identity? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a hard thing. We can all say things here, but you go around the world. What is the identity? It's a schizophrenic cluster, you know what, of grapes. Mm -hmm. There's nowhere else in the world that you can do every single varietal in an hour and a half travel period. Microclimates, different soils, everything. We can do anything. So we're never going to get good at one because our egos are going to want to do everything. (laughs) So it's, it's, what are we going to be known for? Pinot Noir, Riesling, it's Syrah, what? Like you can't because it's, we do it all. So it's going to take, you think how long it took France and how long we've been making wine and like, we're just a baby. We're a speck of dust in the wine world. Um, and not that anything we're going to do is, ch- is going to change that. But I think what I hope it does, if, if other people that are getting into the game look at what we've done and go and not be scared to try to do something different, not be scared to go with their gut and use that as a thing that makes us this weird, crazy, ballsy industry. Do you know what I mean? So if I can contribute to that... Um, that's the end game, I guess. And I'd like to move to Mexico and, and, and sell tacos, <laughs> something like that. Is there, a, is there one wine that you look back and you go, if, if somebody wanted to know about me, about, about what I stand for, this have a sip of this and, and you'll know more about me? The only one that'd be available, there's a few like through the years, and we do like 70 SKUs a year. So because of all the stuff, so it, I get lost in it. Ask my wife, she drinks most of it. Um, there's one and it's connected to Crown, so I don't want to sound like, because there's all the wineries are equally, I love them all the same. There's not a personal thing with any of them. But there's one called the Broken Barrel Syrah from Crown. It's a 2013. But there's another story behind that. And, and that's probably, it's a very, very good wine. But there's a really nice story behind that that I don't want to take up all your airtime. But that's the reason that it's special to me. Right. You can't, you can't do the <laughs> teaser and then walk away. I just feel like it. I'm blabbing way too much. Uh, okay, so all right, I'll try and keep it quick. We're making this is we're making wine at a different spot. At that point, it was the first licensed winery in BC, uh, arguably called First Estate. Uh, to get my go get get going in the beginning, I used to help people make their wine and build a brand for them and help them design their winery. That's how. It started. Jason Parks Customs was a little name that I had on the side to help people build their dreams, whatever. So I was um, moving four bottles of Syrah. It was belonging to somebody else. I lifted it up. The barrel rack broke and all the barrels smashed on the ground. They were leaking and I was, the guys had already gone home. It was late, 18 hour day type thing. So I just lifted them up, swore at them and went home. Um, I called the guy that I was making it for. He had a bill that wasn't cleared up yet, so I just took it off the bill, and it was fine. I owned it and salvaged what I could do. The next day, my sister called me, who works with um, special needs kids, um, and she said, "Will you just do you have some bottles that can go into a basket for this little girl named Isla that wants to get uh, a piece to go behind her dad's bike? And Isla was quite a survivor. She's, she's uh, outdone herself and still outdoing herself. She's doing really good. But it was a, it was a, you know, it was a sad thing to hear. Um, and I just thought, you know what, 
I said, just let me get to work and I'll see, and I'll call you back. And I went there and there was, there was a good, good hundred cases left. It, it, the barrels actually sealed up pretty good. So I called and I said, you know what, there's this Syrah here. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I'm going to just cover my costs and all the money can go to her to get her. Right. Um, I got to try not to screw the story up. Okay. So then the crew came in and I was still mad at, at the wine. So I said, just pump it into that little tank and put it in the corner for a timeout. That's literally what I said. So it went in the corner for its timeout. And they just wrote on there, but what do you call it? Just the broken barrel. So it's just duct tape, the broken barrel. Left it alone, went on with our thing. A few months later, a guy that I know that was getting into the wine game uh, with the Aquilini group wanted to come visit me and taste through the cellar. Real good wine guy, real nice guy. So he came in, I, do, I would like to say his shoes were a little too fancy that day, but he came in with his fancy shoes and he's a great guy, but he has, his shoes, I don't know. He went through and tasted everything because it was a unique place. We're making all this wine. At this point, we're fermenting stuff outside. There's literally like little fires under tanks. You know, WCB, sorry, it's too late to catch me on that. But it was renegade, crazy stuff going on up this place. We're making all this wine. Uh, and he just wanted to see it and taste it. He went through everything. And it was really great. And then as he's leaving, he goes, what's that? They go, oh, it's just a barrel. That, whatever. I told him the story. He goes, can I try it? And he tried it. And literally, he goes, look, Jason. And it made the hairs on his arm stand up. I was like, huh. Okay, cool. See ya. And I started thinking about, okay, this is great. This is really good. And so you use the brand. And, and uh, I had to come up with, an, with a label for it if I was going to give it away. Because at that point, I was all the brands and the ideas and everything were going to other people. If I have a brand or why myself, that makes people uncomfortable, just how they are. They're thinking, oh, Jason's just going to put the best stuff in his shit. Stop. Sorry. <laughs> Stop swearing. And not give me the good ideas. So I'm very sensitive to that. And that's understandable. Uh, so we came up with a name. There's a guy that worked very close with me with all the branding and everything. His name is Brody Isaac. Um, I told him what I wanted was a cheeky, high-end, French-looking thing, but making fun of it, still self-deprecating. And we got it, all, we got it together and come up with this name, Crown Thieves. So, and I wanted to call it The Broken Barrel. So long story short, okay, I'm already sorry, too late for that. But that label and that idea built Crown Thieves. That whole thing of doing something good you know, Crown and Thieves to me is kind of, I don't like saying it, it's, it's lame, it is a Robin Hoody thing to me mm -hmm. in my mind. Like, I want it to do good things for people. I want, you know, I get people calling me Instagram checks and stuff all the time to do photo shoots. Sure, but it's a $500 donation. It's going to Mamas for Mamas. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. stuff like that. I want to do good things out of that building. Um, that wine went on to win a Lieutenant Governor Award in Canada. Well, multiple, like, it just cleaned house on the awards. It did very, very good. Um, we did sell it all. We did get some money to Isla's parents. And here's a fun story. On the stage, on each side of the stage, there's a stained glass, a church stained glass piece that's backlit. So when I got them, they were broken, just like everything I got was broken. And I went to a stained glass place in town, and um, yeah, this guy looked at the pieces, and I got him into to fixing it, and... Um, I, I knew who he was, um, and I talked about trading some wine for him repairing these pieces, and when he got my name, he looked up at me and goes, I'm Isla's dad. And it was, it was Isla's dad that fixed the stained glass that went into Crown and Thieves. So a very nice story, and that, mm -hmm. was, that was a pretty cool, emotional little moment there. Super nice guy. And, and so in a way, Isla, little Isla, that phone call from my sister, um, and doing something that you should do, Mm -hmm. We just people should do built that building for me. It's it's again I go back to that where you know and and again we're not going into too many rabbit holes here but you know it feels like when you, you when you get to a place 
and you're supposed to be there and something's supposed to happen, things do show up. And that's that's what I believe for sure. Yeah. Um, couple questions uh, just while we wrap this up. But uh, band, living or dead, that you would you would have loved to have seen or or saw and would love to see again? Hmm. It's going to be very typical, most people my age, but just, I guess, the Foo Fighters with uh, mm. them on the drums. My favorite band growing up is definitely the Pixies. Um, I saw them, though, for my honeymoon. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. But those are my, my two favorite bands. Okay. Um, and if... If you had a chance to do a do-over in life, what would you do differently? If anything. Honestly, I would try to stay in better shape so I'm not so chubby. And I would have worked on keeping my hair. Other than that, I'm, I'm very... There might be a couple things. No, no, I think I'm good. I think I'm, I'm very happy with who I am. It's hard sometimes. Like, I'm getting tired. And I'm an emotional baby. Like, I'm a... Uh, like I'm a soft person, right? So yeah. it life can be harder when you're like that. Um, but I wouldn't change anything. No, okay. no. Good. Um, this has been a a huge thrill uh, and had a lot of fun. So thanks so much for coming on the big show, and love to get you back on. Thanks, thanks for having me.